So it's a perfect proliferation party. Say that five times fast. Perfect proliferation part, perfect proliferation part, perfect proliferation part, perfect proliferation part, perfect proliferation part. Yeah, I thought it would be more tricky. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 289. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Prilliman, and I am joined this evening, afternoon, morning, drive to work by the one and only Charles Featherer. Hello, hello. Hello. And we do not have a Samantha Har uh, again for this episode. Uh, have, so... have you checked your Have you checked your battlefield uh, to see if she's on the battlefield? No. All right. So, yeah. So, in case you can't figure it out, we are going to be talking about... Phyrexia All Will Be One and the release notes and basically going over some rules minutiae that may or may not make sense strategically, but yeah, you could do it in the in the rules because just because you can do it means someone is going to do it. Every, every single time. As some EDH <laughs> decks. Well, basically, that's why Judge Tower exists is... Someone told someone that that was a dumb idea, and they were like, "Oh, I'm going to show you." I, I've played Judge Tower a couple of times. I don't, I don't, I don't dislike it. I even may have one floating around somewhere. For I, I don't, I don't get to use it very often. For the uninitiated, uh, Judge's Tower is, as I understand it, a gotcha game is a shared deck <laughs> where you draw your cards and you have to do everything as quickly as possible. You have to do everything technically correct and as early as possible. And if you screw up, you lose. Yeah, there, there's there's variations on a theme. Sometimes it's if you collect X number of um, points against you, you're out. It, it all depends on who built it, what rules you're playing under, and so forth. Yeah, it's just it's like they take the least fun part of magic and they make it the entire purpose of the game. But anyway. Well, I mean, we, we've talked about that before. I mean, some people really, really dig the rules stuff, the minutia. Yes. And for them, for them, Judge Tower's fun. I don't, I don't, I don't find, I don't find fault with fun. You know, sometimes we don't have to like both sides everything. We can just say that something's bad. <laughs> you know. Okay. So what we won't be talking about tonight is event link. Yeah. Like I made, I made a, I made a particular argument, and I was like, this is the case, and someone was like, well, I. You know, I did a, something different. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I, if I make a statement, um, you don't have to worry about knowing how to handle things if the fire alarm goes off in the middle of your tournament. Someone's going to chime in with, well, in 2015 in an SCG event, yes, okay, you're never going to need X. Doesn't mean literally there is a 0. 0.000 chance. Yeah, it sounds a little toxic. Uh, yes. All right. Good segue. <laughs> Do you want to take it then? Sure, sure. So uh, with, with uh, what is the name of the set again? Phyrexia All Will Be One? Yeah. Um, with that, we have a, a couple of, uh, well, a returning mechanic, and that is poison. Um, and it's important to understand this mechanic, even though um, it's really, I think, mostly reminder text. Um, various effects can give players poison counters. Players get them not creatures, and if you get 10, you die. Just like if your life was reduced, reduced to zero. This is a what we consider an alternative win condition. Um, milling a player of their cards, um, getting them to be salty and, and be sad and, and 
quit the game. Um, all alternative win conditions. Shh, shh, it's okay. It's all right. Mm-hmm. Um, poison does not use the stack. That's uh, an important important point about it. So you're trying to get your opponent to 10 poison. Uh, this does not change, uh, notably, if you're playing commander. I know that some people would like it to be different, but the the rule does not modify for commander games. And then we have toxic. Yeah. There's no escape. There's, there's no escape. Um, I know what you wrote there, but I'm not reading that. <laughs> <laughs> um, toxic is the way that players will get poison counters in, in Phyrexia All Will Be One. Uh, it's neither effect nor poisonous. As players are dealt their combat damage by the creature, uh, the player will take damage and they gain the appropriate number of poison counters simultaneously. And that word's important. Um, so we have a card here, Bilious Skull Dweller for one black mana. It's a creature, Phyrexian Insect. It's a 1-1. And it has Death Touch, always relevant on that black 1-1 creature. And it also has Toxic 1. And the reminder text there is players dealt combat damage by this creature also get a poison counter. So instead of just pinging you for one, it's also causing you, uh, your opponent, to gain a, a poison counter. Some important points about Toxic. Uh, it doesn't change the amount or how creatures deal combat damage. And if the creature has lifelink, it's still going to apply. It doesn't interact with the poison from the toxic, though. That's lifelink. Uh, if a creature with toxic deals damage to a creature or planeswalker or somehow deals non-combat damage, nothing special happens. Um, you, you actually, if you're um, swinging with Skull Dweller, you actually have to get through... Um, there can't be any blockers. Yep. So if you somehow put, uh, if you turn a toxic creature into a pinger, yep, you're not gonna, you're not gonna ping for poison, right? Because it does specify that it has to be combat damage. Yes. Um, the number of poison counters given a player doesn't change based on the creature's power. Um, it's only based on the toxic number. So if somehow you you pump your skull dweller up to a to a beefy three one. Um, and it gets in for three damage, it's still only doing one poison counter. Replacement effects that modify the number of counters a player can get apply to poison counters from Toxic. Um, that should also be pretty self-explanatory, I think. Um, and multiple instances of Toxic do stack. So Toxic 2 and Toxic 3 is effectively Toxic... Uh, toxic 2 and Toxic 1 is effectively Toxic 3. Um, there's no multiplication happening with Toxic. That's That's... The important math part of that. Yeah. And they haven't, uh, I haven't seen a clarification on how Toxic is going to interact with Infect. Um, but because you have to deal damage in order for Toxic, like if, uh, if our, if our little skull, skull dweller here somehow became like a zero one, you're not dealing combat damage. So you're not getting poison counters. So, with infect, the dealing of the damage and translating into the results, they do the, you know, they happen at the same time. So I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure if if you somehow give your one one infect, uh, your one one toxic one infect, if it's going to give one poison counter and then immediately give one more. I feel like they would probably set it up so that it all happened at the same time. But since we don't have the exact comprehensive rules yet, we don't have um. Uh, an exact clarity i don't think most of the time it's going to matter i th- I think they would have done it so that it happens all at the same time simply because 
Malaria is in the set. Okay, and we'll talk about that in a Yeah, and, and ultimately, and we've made this point a lot, but ultimately, um, they want rules to be clear and easy to understand. And they wouldn't add some layer there unless it really has to be there. Yep. Um, and layer's the wrong word. But they wouldn't add some, some special... Um, instance of the rules unless it has to be there for some reason so yeah we're still working off of the release notes not off the comp rules and and we should be getting the comp rule updates uh sometime well sometime i guess this week yeah i i think i think it's going to be set up to to happen at the same time simply because it uh reduces while it's a little bit of like coding complexity it it eliminates a lot of weird quirky rules interactions but we'll know when we see all right. Yes. Um, there is something now. What are you gonna do with all those poison counters? All those poison counters inside that trunk. Um, what? I, I I can't just make my opponent opponent salty when I yeah. when I beat him with ten point poison uh, no, counters. No, I no, think no. That's, I think that's pretty so great. One of the one of the things says about, the red says the red player. <laughs> so one of the air quotes problems with poison counters in the past is that. It was basically all or nothing. Like having nine poison counters didn't do anything. Having six poison counters didn't do anything. It was basically having nine is the same thing as having zero, right? It, if you die. Like it's, it's right. It didn't do anything until the very end. Uh, so in this set, they've introduced a new ability word called corrupted. And Ooh. remember, ability words, they technically have no rules, meaning they're just thematic labels that you can slap on on cards that that are related that basically mm -hmm. tells you that an ability cares if an opponent has three or more poison counters. So an example card um, is Fleshless Gladiator. Okay. Actually, I'm going to do uh, Anoint with Affliction first. Um, Anoint with Affliction is one in a black. It's an instant that says Exile Target Creature. If it has mana value three or less, Corrupted, Exile that creature instead if its controller has three or more poison counters. Okay. Ooh. What's that? Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. So for, first off, in multiplayer games, we only care if one opponent has three or more poison counters to to get corrupted. Uh, we don't care if all of or the cards don't actually care about all of them. Okay. So sometimes a corrupted ability will appear on or cor corrupted will appear on instants or sorceries and provide effects that can happen in addition to the base effect, okay? Other ones will actually say if they're corrupted, they have a self-replacement effect. So in that particular case right there, in the case of Anoint with Affliction, we actually care if, the, if an opponent has three or more poison counters on resolution only of the ability. So if I cast Anoint with Affliction and Charles only has two poison counters, and with Anoint the Affliction on the stack, I am somehow able to do something to proliferate. When Anoint with Affliction goes to Resolve, Charles will then have three, and I will get the self-replacement effect. Now, other cards, like Fleshless Gladiator, which has Corrupted 2 and a Black, Return Flesh, is a 2-2 is a Phyrexian Skeleton. Uh, for 2 and a Black, Return Fleshless Gladiator, from your graveyard to the battlefield tap, you lose one life. Activate only if the opponent has three or more poison counters. In this particular case, uh, because it is an activated ability, the corruptedness of, of Mr. Feather 
has to be there in order to activate the ability. Okay, so it matters it a little. Pause. It doesn't pause during the resolution to to to. Uh, right. It's this is this is on activation. Yep. Yep. Okay. So that's that's what we got there. That that anoint with affliction for one and a black is at common. That seems ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, the value is is amazing. I'm I'm wondering what uh the the limited players out there are thinking, but that's and I know that's not my job, but that's an amazing card okay cool yeah yeah that that one is annoyed with affliction also since it says exile target creature if it has mana value three or less uh it's you can target any creature it's Mm -hmm. only going to exile it if its mana value is three or less okay unless you also they have an opponent has three or more and then you just exile it it removes the the if it has mana value three or less clause so you can target anything or any creature with yeah. Uh, those poor Mirrodins, Merodians, <laughs> Mir, Myrmidons, whatever. For Mirrodin. What about it? Well, for it. Are you for it? I'm for it. Eh. I could give or take. Uh, you could give or take the exclamation point, I guess. I, I refuse to add the exclamation point to that ability. But, but it's, it's not... great. It it adds dramatic emphasis. Um, I don't necessarily think my keywords need dramatic emphasis. I definitely don't want anyone shouting it at me. The keyword for Mirrodin has an exclamation point at the end, so it's really for Mirrodin! Which is, is that the first time we've ever had a keyword have punctuation to it as part of its name? Keyword? I'm thinking it's gotta be. Yes, I mean, card names have had exclamation points. They had the flavor ability words that had some wacky stuff. Right. But this is just, go home, you're drunk. It feels like the the punchline here is design space, but it really isn't that either. Anyway, for Mirrodin, um, it, it's a it's a living weapon. Okay, so we're we're talking about a specific card here. So barbed batterfist, barbed batterfist. It sounds like somebody's cooking cookies. Yeah, uh, violently. Um, for one and a red, uh, it's artifact equipment, and then for Mirrodin, and it has the reminder text when this equipment. Enters the battlefield, create a 2-2 red rebel creature token, then attach this to it. Uh, Equipped creature gets plus one, minus one, and equip cost is one uh, if you're you're not using the Formiridin ability, right? Um, So basically it's a living weapon, only instead of making the 0-0 germ token, it's making a 2-2 rebel. Uh, The rebel enters the battlefield as a 2-2, then the equipment becomes attached to it as the ability resolves. Abilities and triggers that care about creatures entering the battlefield will see it as a 2-2. That's important. Uh, moving the equipment leaves the 2-2 behind. So you still have the 2-2 uh, rebel creature token sitting there all by itself. A little bit lonely. A little, little bit, little bit uh, wondering where its equipment went. Uh, it does not make a new 2-2 when you move it. Okay, It has to be entering the battlefield. Uh, if an ability that causes, if an ability causes two rebel tokens to be created, uh, you've got some multiplier happening when you're when tokens enter the battlefield. This equipment will only attach to one of them. You don't get to copy the spell or do anything shenanigany with with uh, with the equipment as it's coming in. It has right. it, it has doesn't to pick one of them, and it doesn't matter which one. Yeah, it doesn't equip to one and then equip to the other. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't do any hop, skip, and a jump thing. It yeah. just it just goes directly on one. All right. I'm going to do the next two because the next one is is weak sauce. Okay. Oil counters. 
Yes, we have oil counters. Mm, sweet, sweet Phyrexian oil. Which I guess symbolize like some sort of corruption or something like that. Several cards in the set, ETB with oil counters on them. For example, the Jetaxian Raptor is a 1-4 flying for two and a blue Phyrexian bird uh, that says Jetaxian Raptor enters the battlefield with three oil counters on it. And then remove an oil counter from Jetaxian Raptor. Jetaxian Raptor gets plus one, minus one until end of turn. Okay, so these oil counters, there's really no, nothing special about them at all. Uh, they could have brought back brick counters from Amonkhet and use those, only they'd be less slick. But um bump um, <laughs> I'm glad you got the slick in there. I mean, that pun was not intended it, it, until right no, before I said it. And then, yeah. So the counters by themselves, they don't do anything. The cards right. themselves tell you what you can do with the oil counters. But right. there's there's nothing special about them. So is it Jetaxian or is it Getaxian? It I I wasn't around the first I wasn't around the first go round, so I I don't know. I I've I've I only hear what I say in my head. So I was just curious if you knew. Jetaxian probe, Getaxian probe. I don't know. Is it is it GIF or JIF? That's what I'm wondering. It's it really is the age old question. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But I'm gonna probe Proliferate. Uh, I'm going to talk about proliferate, which is a return, which is a fun returning uh, mechanic. Um, oh, we love proliferate. Yes. So to proliferate, when something tells you to proliferate, you're going to choose any permanent, any number of permanents, and any permanents that have a counter, and any player or players with a counter. So you can include your opponent, your opponent's stuff. But you can't choose anything that's not on the battlefield. So anything on the battlefield, anything, any any players. And then you get to add a counter of one of the types that permanent or player has. Okay? Um, so uh, you don't, like, if I've got uh, a creature with three plus one plus one counters, I'm not going to go from three counters to six counters. Okay? Also, if it has a plus one plus one counter and a shield counter on it by proliferating i can increase one or the other but not both okay uh an example of of this particular creature copper long legs uh for one and a green it's a one three phyrexian spider with reach as spiders are known to do and for one and a green you can sacrifice copper long legs and proliferate okay and that's just you know look at everything that's got counters and you can plus them. It doesn't target. If your opponent has a poison counter, you can proliferate them. You can proliferate energy. Interesting thing, though, abilities that trigger whenever you proliferate will trigger even if you don't choose any permanents or players to increase counters on. Okay? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you still proliferated. You just didn't, you just, didn't you just proliferate. Missed. It's sort of like you're and attacking. It's not targeting or anything. Yeah, yet. you're attacking, but you didn't it. attack. Right. You know. Um. All right. And then uh, players can respond to spells and abilities that proliferate, but once the proliferating starts, it's got to finish. The opponent can't, in the middle, like, once they find out what counters you're increasing, they can't, uh, like in my shield, uh, the plus one, plus one counter, or the shield counter example, you can't find out that I'm doing the plus one, plus one counter, and then try and kill the creature before it gets its power and toughness boost. So it's a perfect proliferation party. Say that five times fast. 
Perfect proliferation part, perfect proliferation part, perfect proliferation part, perfect proliferation part, perfect proliferation part. Yeah, I thought it would be more tricky. I mean, re- really, I just said it one time and then just copied it four times in in You proliferated. Yeah. Yes, that's I, great. Yes, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> all right. So that's all the mechan- That's all the returning mechanics. Yeah, that's, that's pretty... You know, it, it, we've had a number of sets come through that had a lot of heavy-duty mechanics with, with tremendous explanations and, and hashtag after hashtag in our show notes. And this is... Um, this feels manageable. It's oh. it's kind of nice. Eh. It's not that bad. Eh. It's still got a lot. I don't compared think there's to, a vanilla. I don't think there's a vanilla creature in this set at all. Well, no. I mean, we'll never see a vanilla creature again. At least I don't think we will. There's not a lot. All the design space. So much design space to to be had. I don't think there's a lot of simple stuff. Yeah. Well, no, but I mean, like the mechanic section of this, reading through it. Oh. It's it's not it's not overwhelming. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The returning mechanic be, stuff. It seems to be all very grokkable. Uh, yeah. We've got uh, proliferate again. Uh, oil counters are very simple. Uh, for Mirrodin, it tells us what it does. Uh, same with corrupted. Okay. And yeah, uh, I, toxic is just toxic is just a, a weirdly revised or, or a new spin on poison for the most part. Oh, so poison, not, poisonous? Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's actually talk just briefly about that. So there is a difference between... Uh, toxic and poisonous okay poisonous is triggered on the combat damage okay and toxic is not and i believe the reason they went with toxic as opposed to just doing poisonous is the click reductions in arena well yeah we we do understand that this is a digital world and that there's some decision design decisions that go towards that yeah at least a little bit i don't hate it it's no. just, it's just, you know, why, why not use poisonous? Because uh, digital. Okay, makes sense. Mo- moving on, yeah. <laughs> right? Speaking of moving on, we 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 can do that. We can do that. Uh, we do have some cards to share with all of our listeners. The first one that we're going to share, and, and do you want me to start off? You want to sure, start go off? F- uh, yeah, go. F- I'm going to scroll do you, ahead. Do you have and a particular plan so that you can dump me into something that you don't want to do yeah no you probably <laughs> want to let me do drivnod but other than that we can we can just go back and forth well, we, we, we can just we can just do that then okay yeah so i'll just take uh all will be one sure and all will be one is an enchantment for three and two red mana uh, and the enchantment reads whenever you put one or more counters on a permanent or player all will be one deals that much damage to target opponent creating an a creature and opponent controls or planeswalker and opponent controls gee i like this um so if more than one creature with toxic deals damage to a player at the same time those counters are placed as a single event and all will be one triggers one time uh it's important to note that with toxic when it's when it's happening it's always a singular event uh now it appears that toxic infect wither are all countered at the same time as well yeah, in in this specific one, remember I said when we were talking about infect or toxic, it wasn't clear, and it yeah. depended on how they wrote. There, there's a this statement in the in the release notes for all will be one strongly implies that they're gonna all be together in right. the CR. Right, they're all similar effect. It's a good idea. Okay, all right. The next one is the arch friend of the Dros. Yeah, just for friends, arch friends. It is a Phyrexian demon. That's pretty friendly. 
It's Archfiend. Uh, but for two and a black, it is a 6-6 six, six Phyrexian, flying Phyrexian demon. It has Arch Friend of the Dross <laughs> of Ross. Someone's going to alter that to look like Geller from, uh, from Friends. Uh, Archfiend of the Dross <laughs> enters the battlefield with four oil counters on it. And at the beginning of your upkeep, remove an oil counter from the Archfiend of the Dross. Then, if it has no oil counters on it, you lose the game. Whenever a creature... oh, that seems that seems like a little bit of downside there. Ah, uh, just a just a tiny bit. Just a tiny bit. Um, whenever a creature and opponent dies, uh, oh sorry, whenever a creature and opponent controls dies, its controller loses two life. Okay, so the lose the game trigger happens only on your upkeep. So if Archfiend somehow loses its counters at another time, like something happens and all of its oil counters go poof. Okay, the lose the game trigger doesn't automatically happen like it's not a state-based trigger that's looking it's specifically going to be at the beginning of your upkeep remove a counter also it doesn't have a clause of if you remove the last counter then you lose the game it's just remove an oil counter if you can't great if you can't do it and then regardless then if there are no oil counters on it you lose the game now if archfiend leaves the battlefield with that trigger on the stack Okay, we're going to use last known information to determine the number of counters it had on it while it was on the battlefield to determine whether or not you lose the game. Okay, so you can't, if, if Archfiend dies with three counters on it, you can't somehow argue. It's like, oh, well, it's gone from the battlefield, so there's no poison, there's no oil counters on it. So you lose the game. No, no, no. Look back at what it was. Right, right. Last known information seems important there. Okay. Yes. Okay. Cool. I have no idea how to make a pun out of this this one. Oh, it's 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 all right. You'd probably just massacre it up. No, oh, that's that <laughs> I don't is know. that's bad. That's bad. That... We'll we'll just we'll just move on, please. <laughs> so uh, this is uh, we're going to talk about this, but at the, at the end of it, I'm going to I'm going to explain a, a mini judge level up moment for myself, which I, I was uh, maybe I knew about it before, but I I feel like I really this this type of thing really helped me a, a little while ago. Okay, so Argentum Masticor. Uh, is a artifact creature Phyrexian Masticor for five colorless mana, and it's a 5-5. It has first strike protection for multicolored, so that doesn't mean it can protect you from a, a, a black source and a, and a separate red source. It means it protects you from multicolored sources. Um, at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice Argenta Masticor until you discard a card, unless you discard a card. When you discard a card this way, Destroy target, non-land, permanent, and opponent controls with mana value less than or equal to the mana value of the discarded card. Okay, that's a little bit of, of some word soup. And that's there, all one paragraph. It's all one paragraph. Okay. And this is where my level up comes in, but we'll talk in a moment. Okay. Um, so there's a reflexive trigger here. And we don't get reflexive triggers terribly often. Um, but the reflexive trigger is this at the beginning of your upkeep, and then at the after you do that action, it has a second trigger, which is when you discard a card this way. That's the reflexive part. Right. That's the reflexive part. You don't actually choose a target until that part is happening, right? Yep. Because there's no there's no target in the first part. Yep. Um, also, you can discard to keep Masticore regardless uh, of if there is a legal target for the reflexive trigger. There, if there isn't the reflexive trigger, it doesn't go on the stack or resolve, to resolve. Okay, so interesting card. But my level up came with, I always had a hard time picturing in my head what a reflexive trigger is. 
Mm-hmm. And after I got through another card that we'll, we'll see in a little while, I realized that a reflexive trigger is any situation where I have a paragraph of text and I have two trigger statements in it, uh, right? Where, where, where it'll start at when, whenever, and then it finishes the sentence and then it has a second trigger. That is a very strong indicator. Uh, right. That you're dealing. That's, that's like most of them or, or yeah, ba- basically. And I, I never knew how to identify them before, but that's how you do it. Right. Yes. If it, if it tells you, if you have a trigger that tells you to do a thing or, or resolving a spell. Okay. Um, there can be, I think it's uh hypothesis is the, is the, one of the go-to examples. Uh hypothesis says draw two cards then you may discard a non-land card. This is an instant. When you do, Hypothesis deals four damage to target creature. Okay. Right. So that's not exactly templated the way that I'm talking about, but, but it's still extremely similar. Right. And so what ha- what happens is it says, draw two cards, then you may discard a non-land card. So you can just draw your two cards and then not discard. So the way that, the way this used to work and what, what uh, reflexive triggers let you get away with is... The old wording for this card would actually require when you cast Hypothesis or when you put the Argenta Masticor target on the stack, you would have to declare your target at that point in time. So the opponent could respond, okay? Think think about this. If Masticor was all one ability, okay? All of it was one ability. So they, they, they templated it. And I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy that. And the opponent, for some reason, sacrificed it. Right or you you killed it some other way. The right. trigger would be countered because it has one target and that target's gone. So then right. you wouldn't have to sacrifice the Masticore or, or discard a card. Hypothesis is the same way. I'm going to deal damage to that creature. I'm going to draw two cards and deal four damage to that creature. Someone could remove that creature and I don't get my two cards. Right. Right. right? So they yeah. they they it it allows them to fix certain situations. So all right. Black Sun's Twilight. X and a black is an instant. Up to one target creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn. If X is five or more, return a creature card with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. All right. So the first thing about that is the creature that's returned from the graveyard is not targeted. It is chosen on resolution. So the opponent does not get to know what you're going to be bringing back. Odds are good that they can figure it out in a 1v1 game. In Commander, they're probably seated diagonal from you, and you've already kind of lost interest about what's going on over yonder. And you'll just let them. Okay. Now, <laughs> here's something to blow your mind a little bit. Because Black Sun's Twilight says you can target up to one target creature gets minus X minus X. So you can actually target zero creatures. All right. Or, or one creature. And the rules change a little bit. So if you cast Black Sun's, uh, Black Sun's Twilight with X greater than 5, and you do not target a creature, you're going to just get your creature back onto the battlefield. But if you choose a creature, if you target a creature, and that creature gets removed before Black Sun's Twilight resolves, then you've got a spell with one target, and that target's invalid, and that spell doesn't resolve. That's, so Wow, yeah. the bad beats there. That's, yeah, so that's that's, that's a that is a decision point that you got to think about. Do you want, you know, there is a little bit of a risk. Like if you want to be safe, you would zero targets, and because you really want that one creature back. 
You know, so which is it? Do you want to kill the creature? Do you going to get it back? Decisions. There are rare moments where I miss standard, um, seeing standard being a major competitive format and seeing a lot of people play it. And and I would hope that a card like this would be in standard and and it would constantly perplex people as to what the best choice is. Hmm. That's That card's cool. I like it. Yeah. It's it's not very capricious, is it? It's, uh, it's very... No. No. I'm trying. I'm trying here. Without Sam to, to, to push me on, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, I feel like I need to raise a little hell. Yeah. Her groans make it so much sweeter. It is a lot more fun that way. It is. We don't tell so, bad puns for our benefit. We tell them to make y'all groan, and then we laugh at that. The truth is, is I tell them for my benefit, but uh, you know, sh- <laughs> that's inside baseball. Anyway, uh, so we have this uh, wonderful dragon. It's a capricious Hellraiser for three red, red, red. So for six mana total. Uh, it is a Phyrexian Dragon. It's 4-4. Four, four. This spell costs 3 less to cast if you have 9 or more cards in your graveyard. That's your graveyard. Uh, it has flying, and it has a trigger. When Capricious Hellraiser enters the battlefield, exile 3 cards at random from your graveyard. Choose a non-creature, non-land card from among them, and copy it. You may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. So you're getting a, a free free spell there um the three cards are chosen at random if the three cards are lands and creatures you just don't get anything to cast you it's it's a it's a whiff as they say um you have to as the the kids kids say yeah yes um you have to cast the copy as a part of the resolution of the ability you can't save it for later it doesn't it doesn't get to sit around somewhere and you just oh yeah by the way i want to do this thing uh, since you aren't playing the mat, since you aren't paying the mana costs, you can't pay alternative costs, but you can pay additional costs. Also, for the purposes of this, X is zero. So if the spell has an X in the mana cost, uh, where it lets you do something wild, as in the case with Black Sun's Twilight, X is zero. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the the copy is created in exile. Uh, and you don't cast it right away, SB, and if you don't cast it right away, state-based actions will clean up for you. It'll get rid of it. All right? So yeah. that is the Capricious Dragon. Yeah. And we'll right, just right. take a conduit on to the next card, then. Sounds good. Sounds good. All oh, my right. gosh. I'm looking at the next one. I don't know how to do that. Oh, okay. do you want me to do that one, then? Yeah, well, I, I just don't know how to how to move into it. Did I mean, oh. okay. go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So Conduit of the Worlds is two green green for an artifact. Right. That's it. It's just no more interest. Nope. It says you may play land cards from your graveyard. Okay. Well, I know. I know a commander card or two that'll want yep. this thing. Yep. Then you can tap, choose target non-land permanent card in your graveyard. If you haven't cast a spell this turn, you may cast that card. If you do, you can't cast additional spells this turn. Activate only as a sorcery. All right. So the first thing you're going to notice is you may play land cards from your graveyard. All right, that doesn't, that's the first thing you notice. Woohoo! Um, it doesn't change the timing of playing a land. All right, so all the all the normal rules about you can still only play one land per turn, only during your main phase, only when you have priority and the stack is empty, blah, 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 blah. All right, the second ability. <laughs> that's in the rules text. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. You can find it there. You can, yep. <laughs> uh, so the second ability, you know, it says... Uh, choose a non-land card if you haven't cast a spell, blah. 
you may cast that card. That lets you cast the card when this ability is resolving. So you are casting the spell in the middle of resolving this ability. Okay? Yep. Uh, you still got to pay for it. Okay? Now, here's the thing. Conduit of the Worlds looks at, even if it wasn't on the battlefield yet, it still looks at the spells you have played this turn. Okay? Which, if you don't cheat Conduit of the Worlds out, you just cast it normal. Bloop! Well, you just cast a spell this turn. So tapping it to activate its ability, um, yeah, you're yeah you're gonna be able to choose that non-land permanent, but uh, you're not gonna be able to cast it, right? Right. Because you already cast the spell. All right. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do the next one. Yeah, one? I, I I started reading it and I got lost partway through it. So okay, uh, I I think it I think this is for the best. Just as I don't have to always, you know, offer the counterpoint, I don't always have to go right after you went. I mean, yeah. you know, sometimes we can be a little flexible here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So th- uh, thanks for the nod. Um, <laughs> we're going to we're going to talk about Drivnod Carnage Dominus for three black black. It is a eight three legendary creature for Rexian horror and with a name like Drivnod. Jeez. Um, all right. So let's let's start with the the second ability because that's kind of the the less interesting of the two for uh, Phyrexian black black Phyrexian mana for two of those and then exile three creature cards from your graveyard you put an indestructible counter on Drivnod Carnage Dominus okay eight three indestructible it's pretty decent but then it has for this prob- ability for probably four life right yeah. I mean you're probably you're probably just doing that yeah that's that seems like a really good play. I mean, it's fine, because it's yeah. from your graveyard, it's not from the battlefield, but it has a static ability that says, if a creature dying causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So, so the it wonder- triggers an additional time? Yeah, so the, the wonderful thing about triggers, <laughs> our triggers are wonderful things. Okay, so Drivnod affects a creature's own when this creature dies triggered abilities as well as whatever other uh, triggered abilities that also trigger when uh, that creature dies. I'm going to say trigger so many times during this card that it's going to start to lose meaning. Okay, so uh, do we have another example about when this creature dies, loses two life? Was that... uh... Oh, that was whenever a creature an opponent controls. Whenever a creature dying causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger. Yeah, so earlier we talked about uh, Archfiend of Dross, which has a ability that says whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, its controller loses two life. Okay, well, with Drivnod, and uh, you shock an opponent's creatures, well, it dies. You have a permanent uh, that uh, a creature dying caused that triggered ability that I control to trigger. I'm going to get it an additional time. Now, it doesn't copy that trigger. It just causes it to trigger it again. So unlike copies, all decisions are kind of locked in. If it just triggers again, you get to make whatever decisions again. If it's a modal trigger, you get to make a different choice. All right? Uh, The trigger also doesn't have to specify creatures. For example, a card could have an ability that says whenever an artifact is put into the graveyard, okay? And then an artifact creature is put into the graveyard. Well, it's a creature. And it caused a permanent you control to trigger. Okay. Mind blown. I feel like uh, 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 the great Finzini from uh, uh, 
Princess Bride. It's like, I'm just getting started. <laughs> All right. An ability that triggers when a creature leaves the battlefield uh, will trigger twice if that creature left the battlefield by going to the graveyard. Okay. Because, again, we talk about dying. Okay. Uh, so if it leaves the battlefield by going to exile, well, it didn't, it didn't die. Okay. Now, here's the thing. But abilities that trigger on an event that caused the creature to die doesn't count. You know, like, well, what's that mean? Um, so if, the, if you have something that says whenever you sacrifice a creature, that will not trigger twice because a creature dying did not cause that triggered ability to trigger. Okay, it's the sacrifice is what caused it. And the sacrificing is not the same as dying, even though they kind of mean the same thing a lot. Um, okay, does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I'm, the sac I'm, I'm parsing this out, yeah. Yeah, the sacrificing is not the dying. Because you think about it, you can actually sacrifice a creature and have it go to exile if you have like a Leyline of the Void out or something like that, right? Right, right, right. It's not the sacrificing that actually is... is is the dying. Ah, oh, this is more... Okay. If a creature is dying at the same time as Drivnod, and that dying causes a trigger... causes a triggered ability, that ability is going to trigger an additional time. Okay? So if Drivnod and something else dies, and you've got a trigger that would trigger, okay, Drivnod is going to... You know, we, we look back in time right before the event, and right before the event, Drivnod was on the battlefield. There is an exception. If the dying trigger is, and I put in quotes, if the dying trigger is put into the graveyard from anywhere. Now remember, put into the graveyard from anywhere triggers trigger from the graveyard, where I just said we typically, when we have leaves of the battlefield triggers, we typically look right before the event so that we see the permanent on the battlefield. Whenever a... A uh, card is put into the graveyard from anywhere. That triggers from the graveyard. So if Drivnod and this other creature are both going to the graveyard, Drivnod is already gone when that ability would trigger. Okay, so yep. put into the graveyard, put into the graveyard from the battlefield, and put into the graveyard from anywhere are slightly different, even if that from anywhere is the battlefield. All right. Then, yeah, when Tweedle Beetles battle with paddles in a puddle, <laughs> it's called a Tweedle Beetle Puddle Paddle Battle. And if you have two Drivnods, or three or four, you aren't doubling the number of triggers. You're just getting an additional one. So if you have a second or uh, a second Drivnod and have to get rid of it due to the legend rule, any dying triggers are actually going to trigger three times. So so the original trigger, plus one for the first Drivnod, and plus another for this for the second Drivnod that's going to the going to the graveyard. You keep using that word. I, I don't think you it means what you think it means. <laughs> right well guess what <laughs> trigger 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 guess what you're gonna be you're gonna be using that word a lot for the next card <sighs> but i do get to talk about elish norn mother yeah. of machines yeah mom four and a white legendary creature phyrexian praetor is a four seven with vigilance and it has two relevant abilities. If a permanent enters the battlefield, causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. They fit trigger into that sentence three times. Yeah, yeah. Bless them. Um, permanents entering the battlefield don't cause abilities of permanents your opponents control to trigger. Wow, that's just a smack in the face, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 
So Elish Norn's abilities apply to creatures' own Enter the Battlefield's abilities, as well as other triggered abilities that trigger when something enters the battlefield. That makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. Um, replacement effects don't interact with this Elish Norn. Um, I won't say anything about other Elish Norns because they might hear me and it would be bad. So things like as this permanent enters the battlefield, yeah. right? It yeah. doesn't interact. Yeah, those aren't those aren't triggers. So right. even though people people call them or players call them triggers, right? We need to see those keywords when, whenever, at. We have yeah. to see them. Okay. Yeah, replacement effects can still interact with Elish Norn in the sense of if somehow the replacement effect is replacing the trigger or altering the trigger in some way. Right. Uh, Elish Norn's abilities don't look to see who controls the permanents entering the battlefield. Only who controls the permanents that have the triggered ability. Uh, the second ability doesn't copy the trigger. It causes it to trigger twice. Uh, you make independent choices for the second trigger. And we were just talking about that a, a moment ago. Uh, only only uh, in a different way. It's not actually... It's, it's causing it to trigger a second time. If a, if a permanent enters the battlefield the same time as Elish Norn, causes a triggered ability of a permanent you already control to trigger, you get an additional trigger. All the triggers. You get a trigger, you get a trigger, you get a trigger. Mm -hmm. um, if a permanent enters the battlefield the same time as Norn, and it would cause a triggered ability of a permanent your opponent controls to trigger, it won't trigger. Hmm. So if a triggered ability is linked to a second ability, okay, uh, additional instances uh, of that triggered ability are also linked to that second ability. Okay, so if um, if uh, when this enters the battlefield, uh, exile a card from your hand, and then the effect lets you copy the exiled card. Okay, uh, you're going to get two instances of that trigger, right? So if the second ability refers to the exiled card, it refers to all cards exiled by instances of that triggered ability. Okay. Wow. And in some cases, this when dealing with linked ability, so you'll have like a static or an activated ability that references the card or the, the object from the trigger. When you have two of them, you know, it gets a little little confusing. What are we talking about? So in some cases involving linked abilities, an ability requires information about the exiled card. When this happens, the ability gets back multiple answers. Okay. If these answers are being used to determine a, a value of some sort of a variable, then you're going to use the sum of both numbers. So you get back three and four. It's seven. Um, for example, if uh, Elite Arcanists enter the battlefield, ability triggers twice, two cards are exiled, and the value of X in the activation cost of Elite Arcanists, other ability is the sum. Okay. And for those of you that want to know what Elite Arcanist does. It is uh, for three and a blue. It is a one one. This is from Magic 14. So we're going in the Wayback Machine eight years for this thing. It says when Elite Arcanist enters the battlefield, you may exile an instant card from your hand. So with Elishnorn, that's going to trigger twice. You can you're going to be able to exile two instances. Then X tap copy the exiled card. You may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. X is the converted mana cost of the exiled card. In this particular case, X is going to be the sum of both but when the ability resolves you're going to create copies of both and then and then you're going to be able to cast none one or both of those copies in any order you want because fun <laughs> all right eternal fun even you know yeah all the fun <laughs> yeah so we just wandered around that card a lot 
So we're going to talk about everyone's favorite planeswalker without a type, the Eternal Wanderer. For four white, white is a legendary planeswalker. That's it. With five yeah, starting there's, loyalty. There's, there's way more to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of it's three three abilities plus a static. No more than one creature can attack the Eternal Wanderer each combat. Then it has a plus one ability, plus one loyalty ability that says exile up to, exile up to one target creature or artifact. Return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of that player's end step. Zero mana, you can create a 2-2 two, two white samurai creature token with double strike. Or minus four for each player. Choose a creature that player controls. Each player sacrifices all creatures they control not chosen this way. Woof. All right. The Eternal Wander, it is not an error that the Eternal Wander does not have a Planeswalker type. Okay, it's just for funsies. If you remember, the Planeswalker rule is just the legendary rule now. So we look at we we look at the name. You know, yep. it's it's not we're not comparing types anymore. For the first loyalty ability, the plus one ability, it's going to return the exiled uh, artifact or creature at its owner's uh, at the beginning of that player's next end step, even if Eternal Wanderer has left the battlefield. Also, you note that ability says up to one target creature, so you may choose not to return anything. Yeah, well, you can plus one it if there's if there's no target. Right. Well, yeah, you can just you just don't yeah. have to do anything. Yeah, you can choose zero just to, for the plus one. Just just the plus one. Yep. Uh, if if the permanent that's being returned has an ability that triggers at the end step, it's not going to trigger because it's it's gone. It's it's like that scene in Spaceballs. Where it's like, you know, they're like, well, go back to then. We can't. Why not? We missed it. <laughs> you know? Okay. The beginning of that player's next end step. That end step happened. The creature came back. It's already passed its its uh its opportunity to trigger. All right. What is this? Sing it with me for the Sing plus one. Sing it with me for the plus one ability, because this is this is something that we talk about each time we see these this type of phrasing. All right. Ors go to the graveyard. Equipment unattaches. Counter oh. cease to exist. And once the object comes back, it's considered to be a new object in the game. Tokens cease to exist. Okay. So it's not. It's, it's yeah. It's not. It's it's a, it's, some, it's a pattern that we we, yeah. we do we do right. each time at least once. Yep. Now the minus four ability. Let me read that again because it was like a hot minute since I read it. Uh, for each player, choose a creature that player controls. Each player sacrifices all other creatures they control not chosen in this way. That does not target. So you can um, now you can choose that creature with hexproof your opponent's got. That's not going to work out so good for you, right? Because you yeah, probably want yeah, to get rid of it. It's not a good move, but you yeah, can do it. You can do it. And you can also select a creature with ward and not worry about paying the ward cost. Again, Which also seems not... Not good strategy, but we're not here to judge you about your strategic choices in Magic. No. Later we might, but not in this podcast. All right. We've evolved a bit. <laughs> Speaking of evolving, uh, I have a, a cute little beastie called Evolved Spinoderm for two and two green. It's a creature Phyrexian Beast. It's a 5-5. Five, five. Evolved Spinoderm enters the battlefield with four oil counters on it. Evolve Spinoderm has Trample as long as it has two or fewer oil counters on it. Otherwise, it has Hexproof. So it's going to have one or the other. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, remove an oil counter from Evolve Spinoderm. Then if it has no oil counters on it, sacrifice it. And, and the really important part about this is, is if all the oil counters are lost through some means other than the last ability, 
uh, it sticks around. The, the evolved spinoderm sticks around until the next upkeep. At that time, the trigger happens, and if there's still no oil counters on spinoderm, it's sacrificed. And, and that's when the trigger resolves. So uh, it will disappear. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up is the evolving adaptive. For a green mana, it is a 0-0 Phyrexian Warrior. Evolving Adaptive enters the battlefield with an oil counter on it, and Evolving Adaptive gets plus one, plus one for each oil counter on it. Uh, they could have just made this card use plus one, plus one counters, but they made it use oil counters for theme reasons. All right, and then... So, so that's a whole lot for just a 1-1. One, one. No big deal. Mm -hmm. But it says, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control... If that creature has greater power or toughness than Evolving Adaptive, put an oil counter on Evolving Adaptive. All right. So first off, when comparing the power and toughness of two creatures, you're comparing the power to power and toughness to toughness. None of this. Well, its power is greater than its toughness, so blah. Okay. One of the two stats of a creature entering the battlefield has to be bigger than the Evolving Adaptive's current power and toughness or the ability won't trigger at all. This is our intervening if clause. So it says, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, comma, if that creature has greater power or toughness than Evolving Wilds, comma, put an oil counter on it. So that statement, that if statement, has to be true both to go on the stack and in order to resolve, okay? Um, if a creature entering the battlefield has plus one, plus one counters as it enters, uh, those factor into the calculation, okay? Specifically, if it's a replacement effect. Uh, for example, something like Endless One, uh, it's X mana and says Endless One enters the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it's a zero zero. Okay, that's not a triggered ability. If it if it was a triggered ability, the, like it was like it enters and then when it enters the battlefield, put X plus one plus one counters on it. First, that'd be terrible because it's a zero zero and it die right away. But let's say it was right. like a one one and it sticks around. It entered the battlefield as a 1-1 one, one with a trigger to to give it a boost. Okay, not the same thing as entering with all the various plus one, plus one counters. All right. Oh, I love this in the release notes you start with in this next example is a little complicated. Let's say your evolving adaptive has two oil counters on it. So it's a 2-2 two, two, and then a 1-3 creature like a gurgling anointer. I love these card names. Gurgling anointer enters the battlefield. The trigger from evolving adaptive is going to go on the stack. Okay, and in response, your opponent casts a spell that will modify the power and toughness of your Gurgling Anointer by plus two, minus two. So my Gurgling Anointer is now a three one. Okay, when the adaptive trigger goes to resolve, it's still going to get the oil counter. Okay, so it's basically it just checks if it has a greater power or toughness when it's put on the stack. And it has, checks if it has a greater power or toughness when it goes to resolve. And it really doesn't care if those flip in the middle somewhere. I'm going to tell you that I read the, the release notes on this particular one several times. Yeah. And I sat there and I just could not parse it. And, and I, I sat there and I had to break it down. And once I broke it down, I was like, no, 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 no. We're just going to explain this a little bit differently. We're just going to use a live example and just 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 do it. Yeah. Because I, I think it makes more sense that way. Yeah. Yep, and uh, the last little bit is if multiple creatures enter the battlefield at the same time, they can all cause your uh, adaptive, uh, evolving adaptive to trigger, but the triggers are going to resolve one at a time. So since we have the intervening if clause, it might actually push us out. It might grow the adaptive 
outside the range of some of those creatures that are entering the battlefield. So plan, if you have a bunch of creatures entering the battlefield at a time, plan it so that you will maximize your adaptive growth. That is brilliant. Yeah. We like that. I have no idea how to transition this. I, I feel like I'm stalking you, trying to figure out how to make oh, this work. Oh, that's so terrible. It is. Thank you. It's so... <laughs> Izuri, Stalker of Spheres, for two, a green and a blue mana, is a legendary creature, Phyrexian Elf Warrior, 3-3. Three, three. Uh, when Azuri Stalker of Spheres, enters the battlefield, you may pay three. Uh, that's three colorless. If you do, proliferate twice whenever you proliferate draw a card uh, it's important to note here that if you pay three from the first ability players can't respond between the two proliferations so you pay the three um and you proliferate twice so you proliferate draw a card proliferate draw a card there's nothing that can happen in between the first proliferate draw a card and the second proliferate draw a card if you proliferate twice you're allowed to make different choices for how you proliferate Okay, so that's easy enough. If you choose to put a, an additional plus one, plus one counter on three of the cards and it, three of the, your creatures, and uh, for the second proliferate, you can choose only to put two, plus one, plus one on one of them yeah. or two of them yeah. or none of them, whatever you want to do. Yeah, you Just remember, proliferate still happens. It's not actually targeting, so you still get to draw a card. It still fully resolves. Way to hammer that point in. That's... I'm I'm here for it. For All right. now until the end of the century. Yep. All right. Next up is Forge Hammer Centurion, uh, which is two and a red for a three-two Phyrexian warrior. Whenever another creature or artifact is put, uh, sorry, whenever another creature or artifact you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, put an oil counter on Forge Hammer Centurion. And whenever Forge Hammer Centurion attacks, you may remove two oil counters. When you do target creature can't block this turn all right hey is this is this our uh, light bulb moment for you this with, this uh, was my light bulb moment i was sitting right. here writing this and reading it and rereading it and i'm like oh i get it now yeah so that ability is whenever whenever forge hammer certain centurion attacks you may remove two oil counters if you don't then that's it we're done no more you, you chose not to do a thing so nothing nothing happens different but if you do choose to remove two oil counters, then the reflexive trigger kicks in that says, when you do remove those two oil counters, when you do, target creature can't block this turn. I'm going to target that creature. Yep. Yep. And we have a nice explanation there, but I, I think we kind of covered it really through. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm just going to slay this next one. Um, sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, Glissa Sunslayer. Uh, we have to stop doing this really. No, no, no. It is not, no, as, no. Much fun. It is not as much fun without Sam here, I swear. We can't it really stop. Isn't. We can't stop because can't stop, the next card, stop. because the next card is the Unstoppable Juggernaut, Juggernaut after this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. All right. Glissa Sunslayer for one, a black and a green, so for three mana value total. Uh, is a legendary creature, Phyrexian Zombie Elf. Oh, isn't she cute? Um, she's a 3-3. Three, three. She has First Strike, Death Touch. Uh, whenever Glissa Sunslayer deals combat damage to a player, you choose one. And it's got three modes. The three modes are... You draw a card and you lose one life, destroy target enchantment, or remove up to three counters from a target permanent. It's that remove up to three counters from target permanent that we want to dive into for just a moment. If you choose that mode, 
you choose which counters to remove when it resolves. Since the wording says up to three, you can choose three or fewer. That's it. Okay. All right. And uh, yeah, as as Brian has already previewed, um, we're 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 gonna get into some gras. Graz. Some we're we're gonna go touch some gras. Yep. So gra- <laughs> graz the unstoppable juggernaut for eight mana is a seven five legendary artifact creature juggernaut with. The ability Juggernauts you control attack each combat if able. Juggernauts you control can't be blocked by walls. And other creatures you control have base power and toughness 5-3 and are Juggernauts in addition to their other creature types. Alright, so if Graz loses its abilities somehow, some way, then Juggernauts you control will not have to attack each combat and will be able to be blocked by walls. Now, unless, of course, they are actual juggernauts, and then they, yes, they absolutely have to attack because it says so on that card. Um, However, due to how continuous effects in the layers are applied, the other creatures you control will be 5-3 juggernauts in addition to their other types. Okay, and that's because um, losing abilities is layer 6, and... Changing the types uh, to Juggernaut happens in, was a copy control text type, in layer four, all right? And you look at that and you say like, okay, well, well, I lose the ability in layer six, but I'm setting the power and toughness. That's in layer seven. So shouldn't that ability be removed? Yeah, that, that's where t- I got confused. Yep. Okay. So here's why. Because that block of text, other creatures you control have base power and toughness 5-3 and are juggernauts in addition to their other creature types, that is all one block of text. Yes. When you're going through the layers, there is a rule that says if you start to apply an ability, okay, you are going to apply the whole ability even if something removes it in the middle, okay? So basically, once we change the creature type, once we change the type to juggernaut, we have started resolving this ability, okay? And when I say resolving, but we've started to to apply that continuous effect. That is going to continue to apply uh, even if that ability gets resolved. So it, the game still, even though it remi- even though it's removed, we're still going to finish it out because we got two parts to the one to the one ability, and we're going to do both of them. Does that make sense? No, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay, tell because, me why. Because we talk about how rules should be intuitive. Yeah. I don't find that terribly intuitive. I would find if it tells me, and and I understand your explanation, I'm going to accept it. Mm -hmm. But as a player, I'm going to tell you that it's confusing to me because if it removed the ability, I think it would remove the whole thing. But we already, but we already started doing it. So does that mean we go back and they stop being juggernauts or, mm, mm, right. Or, or, are they just juggernauts and not five threes? Well, I mean, those are, those are the three options. Either we go back in time and 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 back up the juggernautedness. We <laughs> do the juggernaut, but we don't do the five three. Right. Or we do uh, we do both. And right. the doing half of the ability and not the other half can cause problems. Yeah. They're mostly theoretical problems, but it can cause problems. I'm going to say that Graz is setting up to be the poster child for layers questions in the future. It, it okay. It, it's a it's a really unique thing. So there, uh, there is a card. It is a 
is it resplendent a uh, repentant vampire i'm happy we have another example so that people can update their uh layer slides in conferences i will judge them based on that when i attend yeah absolutely like if are you, you ever using see... grass are you using grass if you see a slide, if you're in a judge conference <laughs> and someone's giving a presentation, they're still using like the old repentant vampire example for this, this the old and tired repentant vampire, then you just know they have not taken any feedback and updated their slides. Or they don't listen to the show, and that's also no, they're just terrible. Well, no, it's just you're looking at old slides. They did not refresh those slides before they presented. They're just re retreading the same worn ground for... <laughs> All right, no effort, low effort. All right, Icker synthesizer. Wait, no, yeah. I did Graz. Yeah, you, you did Graz. You did. I, I was gonna let you go. It sounded you sounded great. Uh, Icker Icker synthesizer for one and a blue is a creature, a Phyrexian wizard. Boy, there are a lot of Phyrexian creature types floating around in this set. I wonder why that is. Uh, it's a one and a three. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put an oil counter on Icker synthesizer. Uh, so it's synthesizing the Ick. And as long as Icker Synthesizer has four or more oil counters on it, it gets plus two, plus O, and can't be blocked. So if Icker Synthesizer gains its fourth oil counter after it is already blocked in combat, it doesn't suddenly become unblockable. It's, it's, it is still in a status of being blocked. Um, assuming it actually survives this turn, uh, in future terms it will need to have that fourth oil counter before the declare blockers happens to uh slip right on through there and then that and that's the uh Phyrexian wizard all right next up is icker moon gauntlet for two and a blue it's an artifact that says planeswalkers you control have zero loyalty proliferate and minus 12 loyalty take an extra turn after this one all right and then it also says whenever you cast a non-creature spell choose a counter on target permanent put an additional counter of that kind on that permanent okay so even though we just added some extra uh, uh, Planeswalker abilities to your Planeswalkers. That doesn't change the rule around the fact that you only get a single activation of a loyalty ability per Planeswalker. Like, adding yeah. other cards might might change that and let you activate things twice, but a Planeswalker in and of itself, just giving it extra abilities, doesn't change the once per, once per turn or once per year turn uh, rule. Yeah, you know, we try and offer a lot of variety in terms of the different cards that we talk about here. Um, I thought that this was just interesting that they that they went ahead and they thought that players might think that they can actually add an additional loyalty ability. So it, it's worth pointing out that that granting something like this doesn't give them more chances to to activate a turn. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So um, oh, I I know that there are a lot of people out there that really 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 love this guy, and, and I feel badly for them. My heart extends to them. But we still have to talk about him. And, and it's Jace. He's a little Phyrexian eyes. I'm sorry. We got a little bit of the oil going through him. Um, it's Jace the Perfected Mind. So as if he wasn't already perfect. For two, a blue, and one blue Phyrexian mana. So if the mana value is four on that. Legendary Planeswalker Jace. He's completed. And that comes with the reminder text. Phyrexian blue mana can be paid with uh, regular blue mana or two life. And if life was paid, this Planeswalker enters the battlefield with two fewer loyalty counters. So if you try and get Jace out a little bit early, you're going to come in with three loyalty counters instead of five. Uh, for the plus one ability, it's until your next turn, up to one target creature gets minus three, minus oh. 
for minus two, the target player mills three cards. And again, target player can be you. Then if a graveyard has 20 or more cards in it, you draw three cards. Otherwise, you draw a card. And then the minus X ability, um, and it does say minus X, it says target player mills three times X cards. Uh, the second ability doesn't have a preference over which graveyard has 20 or more cards. It can very easily be your graveyard. It can very easily be your opponent's graveyard. Um, it doesn't matter, or if you're in a multiplayer game, it could be any of your opponent's graveyards. Uh, Jace's mana value is always four. The Phyrexian mana symbol can be paid with one blue mana, um, but paying life for the spell doesn't alter the fact that the mana value is still four. Uh, the completed ability only cares whether the player paid two life for the Phyrexian mana portion of the casting cost. When paying life for any other reason during the casting of the spell, there's no effect. So it goes to steps of casting a spell and, and when you're yeah. making your choices. Um, if you are actually choosing to pay two life for the Phyrexian mana, um, that's when the completed ability kicks in. Mm -hmm. um, replacement effects that would affect that would replacement effects that would affect, and it's two different effects. So there's the effect and then there's the affect. Um, replacement effects that would affect the number of loyalty counters um apply as normal when jace enters the battlefield yeah this is there's there's been a question as to whether or not com, uh, completed is a self-replacement effect because those happen okay. first yeah so like with with doubling season uh for example we all know that with doubling season a five lowly planeswalker is going to hit the hit the battlefield with uh with 10 right but if you completed this is it going to hit with was it five uh six or eight Mm. And the answer is you get to choose because it's not a self-replacement effect. So it could be either. So it could be either. You get to choose. Are you going to double, then do two less, or do two less, then double? Mm. All right. Jor Kadeen, first gold warden, is a 2-2 two -two for a red and a white with trample. It says whenever Jor Kadeen, first gold warden, attacks, it gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of equipped creatures you control. Then if Jor Kadeen's power is four or greater, draw a card. X is, oh, excuse me, X is only checked when Jor Kadeen attacks. Okay, so if you figure out somehow a way to get uh, more equipped creatures after Jor Kadeen attacks um, uh, and after the trigger resolves, it's not going to change the value of X. But if you are somehow able to instant speed equip while the ability is still on the stack, uh, yeah, X is going to, X could change. The the art in that card really is reminiscent, kind of like a, a shadowy art. You know, it, it's kind of it, it it's it's a little monochromatic, but it but it feels like there's some shadows at play. You know, just just some shadows, shadows. <laughs> oh, you're doing. Uh, I was actually just like, really, I don't I don't necessarily agree. It kind of looks like some sort of weird stained glass art. Like it doesn't it doesn't look the same as other. art art so, it just so so the art doesn't really dance too much for you it's just uh, kind of just no. flat okay toe <laughs> i see where you i see where you're going i amuse myself even if i don't amuse yeah. anybody else i'm okay <laughs> with that right. i'm happy so we've got kato is it is it kato or is it kaido it's let's go i'm gonna go with kato dancing shadow uh if i'm wrong please you know send us a note uh, it is two mana one blue and one black so four mana cost total. Legendary Planeswalker, Kato. Uh, it comes in with three uh, loyalty counters. And it has a static ability. Well, a, not a static ability. It's trigger. 
Whenever one or more, it has a trigger on it. Whenever yeah. one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, uh, you may return one of them to its owner's hand. If you do, you may activate loyalty abilities of Kato twice this turn rather than only once. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so it has a plus one up to one target creature can't attack or block until your next turn. It has a zero ability, which is draw a card. And it has a minus two, which is create a 2-2 colorless drone artifact creature token with death touch and... When this creature leaves the battlefield, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. Um, I'm just going to note it here and we don't have to note it anymore. There are a lot of Planeswalkers in this set. It has to do with story and what's going on. There are ten of them total. Um, so there are. we're, we're going to have at least one or two more that we're going to talk about. So if it seems like we're covering a lot of them, it's because there are a lot of them. Um, if you return... Yeah. <laughs> if War, of you the, War of the Spark was almost four years ago. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's reminiscent of that in that we have a, a number of them, but we don't have, I don't think we have any uncommon ones. I, I could be wrong yeah, about no, that. No. Um, but but we, we talk about cards that are complicated because they offer a lot of different interactions, and you should hear what they are so that you know what they are. Um, so we do cover Planeswalkers kind of heavily uh, because they have so many things going on. Uh, in this case, uh, if you return a creature to its owner's hand as per the first ability, you may either active... Uh, you may either activate two different loyalty abilities, or you can choose to perform the same loyalty ability twice. Uh, it should go without saying, but uh, you have to possess enough loyalty counters to do the actions. So you can't choose to minus two twice if you have three or fewer loyalty counters, right? Makes sense? Cato's mm -hmm. um, ability is not cumulative, even if combat damage is issued two or more times to an opponent. That's a... Uh... That's that's Kato. Yeah. All right. Now on to Kaya, Intangible Slayer. For three white, white, black, black, we have a six loyalty legendary planeswalker Kaya with Hexproof. The plus, uh, plus two ability says each opponent loses three life and you gain three life. Okay. Then we have a, a zero loyalty ability that says you draw two cards, then each opponent may scry one. Real, real quick, how, how opponents scrying works... So all opponents, so basically you're going to draw your two cards. Then all opponents choose whether or not, because it says uh, each opponent may scry one. Each opponent's going to scry, or they decide whether or not they're going to scry, in turn order. Then they all look at the same time. And then in turn order, they're going to decide where the scryed card goes. Okay, so they in turn order decide whether or not they're going to scry. Then they all look at the card at the same time. And then in turn order, they either put the card on top or on the bottom of the library. Each each opponent will have the knowledge of what the previous opponents did. Okay? Yeah, Ooh. that's wild. Yeah, I mean, like, no one's ever going to choose to not scry. That's not the way it's going to play out in reality. But from a rules standpoint, it's this whole thing about, like, uh, if you, opponents have to make decisions at the same time, you make them in app-nap order. All right. Then we have a minus three ability that says exile target creature or enchantment if it wasn't an aura create a token that's a copy of it except it's a 1-1 white spirit creature with flying in addition to its other types okay so except for noted of exceptions the tokens copy uh the tokens copy only what is listed on it and nothing else unless that permanent is copying something else uh or is a token okay it doesn't uh it doesn't copy tapped untapped counters uh whether or not it's got uh, whether it's got auras or equipment attached or anything like that 
if the copy uh hope you're not copying a hydra because if the copied creature has x in its mana cost x is going to be zero if the copied creature is a token the new token that's created has the original characteristics of the first token with the exceptions already that i just mentioned if the copied permanent was copying something else huh, then the token enters the battlefield as whatever that permanent copied okay uh, enter the battlefields. You're still going to get if uh, if your uh, creature or enchantment has ETB triggers. You're still going to get those when the token enters the battlefield. And then Kai's uh, that last ability checks if the card checks uh, the card as it existed on the battlefield if it was or was not an aura, not what it became in exiled. Okay, this is uh, relevant for bestow. Okay, because it's a enchantment creature in exile but it's an aura on the battlefield when you exiled it yeah i am right. really i'm really 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 excited when i first started playing magic my very first planeswalker was Koth, mm -hmm. and i'm just so happy to be able to sit here and talk about Koth fire of resistance for cool. two for two colorless mana and, and two red so four total legendary planeswalker Koth comes in with four loyalty counters and for plus two, you search your library for a basic mountain card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. That's a very Koth thing to do. It's very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. Hey, do, you, do you need do you need a, a lozenge? That's quite a Koth you got there. It, it's it's a little it's okay. a little rough, but we're gonna okay. Koth right through it. We're, right. we're gonna resist resist the need for a, a lozenge. All right. <laughs> Minus three Koth fire. Of resistance deals damage to target creature equal to the number of mountains you control. Again, a very Koth kind of thing to do. It's it's cool. Uh, minus seven. You get an emblem with whenever a mountain enters the battlefield under your control, this emblem deals four damage to any target. Uh, so Koth's emblem is colorless, uh, even though it doesn't really say that anywhere, but the emblem is colorless. Um, the so protection from red won't stop a permanent or player from being targeted, nor will it prevent damage. <clears throat> if a replacement effect cares about red damage, that won't apply to it. Uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, I will never not play this card in limited. If I open it pack three and I am already in four colors, I'm going to go to the fifth color. I don't care. I'm going to play Koth every single time. That's some dedication there. Neat card. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up is Malira, the Living Cure, is uh, a green and a white for a 3-3 legendary creature human scout. that says, mm -hmm. if you would get one or more poison counters, instead you get one poison counter, and you can't get additional poison counters this turn. Okay. Um, then a second ability that says, exile Malaria, the, uh, Malaria, Malaria, yeah, Malaria, the Living Cure, choose another target creature artifact, when it's put into the graveyard this turn, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. Uh, the last ability is pretty straightforward, so let's just talk about that first one, uh, where it says if you'd get one or more poison counters, you instead get one poison counter, and you can't get additional poison counters this turn. The first ability, that's a replacement effect. Okay, so if another replacement effect also wants to change the number of poison counters the player gets, like Vornklex, uh, which doubles the number of counters uh, that you get. The player getting those counters gets to choose the order in which they apply. Okay. 
So generally speaking, you will want to apply Malira last. So however many poison counters you were getting, you're going to get one instead. Okay. And then note that once Malira's replacement effect has been applied, additional events that would put poison counters on you just don't happen, even if other replacement uh, effects are involved. Okay. You just you just stone don't get any poison counters for for additional events. So that I. Mirror and Safe House is the next card that we're going to talk about. It's got three mana. It's an artifact. And it has, as long as Mirror and Safe House is on the battlefield, it has all activated abilities of all land cards in all graveyards. That doesn't just mean your graveyard. It means everybody's graveyard. Uh, Mirror and Safe House only gains activated abilities, which include activated mana abilities. That's important because we're talking about land cards, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It doesn't gain keywords triggered abilities or static abilities lotus veil in the graveyard is pretty good basic lands while they don't have activated abilities printed on them the rules do give them an ability a mirror and safe house could tap for g if a forest is in your graveyard um, if you look at the older printings of basic lands they do have the activated ability uh, style text on them hmm. so uh, that's always there um, activated abilities linked to triggered abilities don't work as well uh, like the Hideaway Lands, Mosswort Bridge, for instance. Yeah, yeah that, you get the activated ability, but it doesn't refer. It, the triggered ability is what uh, is what gives it meaning. All right. Uh, next up is Nissa Ascended Animist for three green, green, green Phyrexian, green Phyrexian. You have a seven loyalty legendary Planeswalker Nissa with completed plus one ability that says create a XX green Phyrexian horror creature token where X is Nissa ascended, uh, ascended animus loyalty. So note here, uh, adding the plus one plus one counter is part of a cost. So it's already been bumped up from seven to eight when it's evaluating what the X is. So you're going to get an eight, eight. Also, if Nissa is somehow left the battlefield when that ability goes to resolve, we're going to use last known information. So we're going to look back and see what Nissa was uh, right before uh, uh, she left the battlefield, okay, um, which would be bad if she was dealt damage that removed those counters. And then uh, you have a minus one that says destroy target artifact or enchantment, okay, and then a minus seven that says until end of turn creatures you control get plus one plus one for each forest you control and gain trample. That boost from the last ability is set when it resolves. New forests entering the battlefield aren't going to change the pluses, and new creatures that enter the battlefield later aren't going to get the bonus either. Or I think I said new forests uh, entering the battlefield isn't going to change what the boost is, because it was already set. Right. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. Um, Phyrexian Obliterator. Uh, uh, excuse me. Phyrexian Obliterator is next, and its casting cost is four black. So black, 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 black. Uh, creature Phyrexian Horror, it's a 5-5, five, five, has Trample. Uh, whenever a source deals damage to Phyrexian Obliterator, that source's controller sacrifices that many permanents. Um, a creature dealt lethal damage by Phyrexian Obliterator will die due to state-based actions before the trigger resolves, so it can't be sacrificed. Okay. Uh, next up is uh, Red Sun's Twilight, uh, which is a... A uh, comic about Superman being raised in the Soviet Union. <laughs> I just want to note that this whole, there's a series of these, right? It, there's a cycle. 
of of, uh twilight cards and there's Mm -hmm. so we we're only discussing two of them there's also the the white one green one and blue one that that exist yeah all right so red sun's twilight is x red red for a sorcery that says destroy up to x target artifacts if x is five or more for each artifact destroyed this way create a token that's a copy of it okay those tokens gain haste exile them at the beginning of the next end step so if X is five or more and any of those targets become illegal, uh, you are only going to create tokens for the artifacts that are still legal. Okay. A lot of rules that we've already gone over about creating a, a token. So I'm not going to rehash, you know, like X is if there's an X in the mana cost, X is zero. Uh, but I'm going to say tokens, <laughs> the tokens that are being created gain haste after they're created. So they're created, and then they gain haste. So if something copies the created tokens, they're not going to have haste. Also, you're not going to have to exile those copies of the created tokens because that's not part of the creation effect, or the it's not part of the of uh, the the characteristics of the token that that got created. All right, all right. Um, it, this is this card's still funny to me. Um, that we have a card, we have a we have a card here, and in a second we'll get to it. But we have a card here that has an ability that isn't really in the top of the release notes, even though it's a it's a returning ability. Um, yeah, it's not really evergreen. We haven't seen it's it. It's not really yet. evergreen, so it's just it's just like a one off that they threw into the set. And I'm sure that there's a good reason for it. It's just it just fascinates me that it wasn't used more. Anyway, so we have Rhea Ivor, Bane of Bladehold. For two, a white and a black. So four, I get a lot of four mana cost. Interesting. Uh, legendary creature, Phyrexian Knight. It's a three, four. It has battle cry. And battle cry has a reminder text on it. Whenever this creature attacks, each other attacking creature gets plus one, plus oh until end of turn. So just hold all that into your head for a second. We're going to come back to it because we read the whole card. Um, the rest of the card says, at the beginning of combat on your turn, the next time target creature would deal combat damage to one or more players this combat prevent that damage the next time target creature would deal one or more we deal yeah okay uh if damage is prevented that way create that many one one colorless phyrexian might artifact creature tokens with toxic one and this creature can't block seems good um the important note here is what happens with creatures being put onto the battlefield uh at the same time as a result of attacking so Let's say you've got a little goblin that's creating uh, a goblin tokens uh, whenever it attacks. Uh, those also receive the plus one, plus oh until end of turn. Well, they can, depending on how you stack your triggers. Yeah. yeah. So, right. <laughs> so the important thing is, is that they need to be in there when this happens. Okay. Yep. Interesting. I, I just love the one-off, one-off uh, uh, use of a, a, of a keyword yeah. or ability. They've also got been a... Used in a long time. A card with flashback in this set too, just a single. So I, I it looks like they've <laughs> do they gotten, really? <laughs> yeah, they've gotten a, they've gotten a little loose with uh with uh returning. Uh, I think I saw that like, there was a, a Gavin Good Morning Magic or whatever where they printed some card that basically had the text of surveil, and people were like, "Well, why doesn't it say surveil?" And they were like, "Well, why couldn't it just say surveil?" So when they have effects where they want to replicate a keyword from a previous set, then maybe possibly they'll bring it back. Soulless Jailer is the next card. It is a 0-4 for 2 mana. It 
says permanent cards in graveyards can't enter the battlefield. And then players can't cast non-creature spells from graveyards or exiles. Boy, if this isn't a sideboard card. So players can still, one of the things, so permanent cards in graveyards can't enter from the battlefield. Well, players can still cast creature spells from graveyards and from an exile if an effect lets them because permanent cards in a graveyard can't enter the battlefield. But if you're casting it, it goes from the graveyard to the stack, right? And same thing with... uh, Creature in the second ability, it says creature spells, so players can't cast non-creature spells. So if you have a creature spell in exile, you can still cast it because Soulless Jailer doesn't interact with that. Putting a permanent card onto the battlefield from the graveyard is an impossible action, okay, uh, when Soulless Jailer is on the battlefield. So if there's any effect that has you choose between getting a creature, putting a creature from your graveyard onto the battlefield or gaining life or something like that, you literally can't choose the option of getting a getting a, a creature back from the graveyard. It's not like I choose that and then it just doesn't happen. If you're presented with a choice, you can't choose it. All right. It makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Tyvar, is it Tyvar? Tivar? It doesn't matter. Tyvar, yeah, Jubilant, yeah, sure. Brawler. <laughs> it's fantasy. Um one a black and a green for a legendary planeswalker tyvar and it comes in with three loyalty abilities uh, three loyal three loyalty counters and it has uh you may activate abilities of creatures you control as though these creatures had haste um it has a plus one untap up to one target creature it has a minus two mill three cards then you may return a creature card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield so Tyvar doesn't actually grant haste to creatures. You still can attack with them. It just gives them the ability to use activated abilities as though they did have haste. Okay. Um, for the last ability, the return creature doesn't have to be the card that's actually milled. It, it reads, uh, you may return a creature card with mana value two or less. It could be any creature card. It doesn't have to be one of the three cards that were sent. All right. Next up is Vraska Betrayal Sting for four black and a black Phyrexian mana. You get a six loyalty legendary planeswalker Vraska with completed. Okay, for her zero loyalty ability says you draw a card and lose a life. Proliferate. Okay. The minus two ability, target creature becomes a treasure artifact with tap, sacrifice this artifact, add one mana of any color. And it loses all other types and abilities. Woof. So the second the second loyalty ability uh, will cause the target to lose any other subtype it had. So if it was a a treasure equipment or whatever, it's it's going to be just a treasure now. It is if you had a artifact creature equipment monkey. Okay, it is going to be <laughs> just a just a treasure artifact. Now I want an equipment monkey. Yeah. <laughs> you still... So so it is... The type is becoming artifact, period. The subtype is becoming treasure, period. Now, if you have a super type, it could retain those. So it could you could, in theory, have a basic treasure artifact or a snow treasure artifact. And if you had a snow treasure artifact, then, it, then your treasure would, in fact, produce snow mana. All right. So the last ability... Uh, is minus nine. It says, if target player has fewer than nine poison counters, they get a number of poison counters equal to the difference. 
Okay, so generally speaking, that player is gonna when that ability resolves, that player is gonna end up with nine poison counters. But replacement effects can change how many poison counters a player is gonna get, like Malira. So uh, in that particular case, uh, with Malira on the battlefield, you would just essentially get one more than you've got. You know, if you have three, you'll go up to four and not nine. All right. You planned this just so I had to... That's a mouthful. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Zapondral, Hunger Dominus, for five and two green. Legendary creature, Phyrexian Horror. It's a four, six. It has reach. It has, at the beginning of each combat, double the power and toughness of each creature you control until end of turn. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. And it also has, for two Phyrexian mana and sacrifice two other creatures, Put an indestructible counter on Zopandral Hunger Dominus. And of course, the reminder text Frexy Mana can be paid with either uh, one green mana or two life. So, doubling creature's power just means that the creature gets plus X plus O, where X is the creature's power. Same for toughness. Um, it works the same way if a creature's power is less than zero when doubling. So, double minus two means we are giving minus two minus zero. Um, if you have two Zapondrals, both work together. Yeah. All right. So the the first one will give like plus X plus zero, and then the second one will see the power and essentially give. I mean, it works to give you four times the power. So you do two times, then four times. Right. All right. And then I did actually have one card from Jumpstart that was just kind of just kind of interesting. It's uh, it's Goliath Hatchery for four green green. I think we covered this in the. Uh, the release notes, but it says when Goliath Hatchery enters the battlefield, create two, three, three green Phyrexian beast creature tokens with toxic one. Oh, this is an enchantment by the way. And then corrupted at the beginning of your upkeep. If an opponent has three or more poison counters, choose a creature you control, then draw cards equal to its total toxic value. All right. And jokes aside about someone's total toxic value, <laughs> that is the sum of all the toxic abilities. So if somehow something has toxic one, toxic one, toxic one, the total toxic value is three. All right. And then the what's what's interesting, uh, another thing that's interesting is the creature that's ch chosen from the corrupted ability, that trigger, um, you choose the creature during the resolution of the ability. So your opponent doesn't get to know. They're probably going to be the one with the highest uh, total toxic value. So... Super toxic. Yes. yes. All right. That's that's it. So yeah, this set, man. Like the rares and the mythics are they got they got a lot going on. Yeah, yeah a lot of words. Absolutely, a lot of words. And that's that's become par for the course. And and I think we're starting to adapt to it a little bit. But it is it, it is pretty uh pretty intensive. You know, we didn't talk about. We've been trying to figure out. And this is just a whole aside for a second. We've been trying to figure out what the schedule is for the for this week, for next week, for for the following weeks, um, because there are a couple of big events coming up. Well, there's at least one big event coming up, mm -hmm. um, and that event's going to be uh, a MagicCon Philly, which is happening the 17th, 18th, and 19th. Um, we would regularly record in two weeks from now, which is going to be the 14th. But um, well, you know, that's my anniversary, so I don't think I'm recording then. Fair. We, we, we can push things back or forward if we have a really hot topic that we want to do. Or we could maybe do MagicCon Philly um, wrap-up in three weeks instead of instead of in 
doing something in two weeks and trying to shoehorn it in before before the convention. I'm not sure what works best for everybody. We'll we'll have to figure that out on our own. But we're just letting you know, the listener, that it's possible. Um, it may be a three week gap here. Not sure yet what's going to happen. And I'm not sure what we're going to talk about next time if we do talk about stuff in two weeks. I don't know. If, I don't I'm know. hoping there's going to be a policy update. There won't be, but I'm hoping. <laughs> I've heard that a couple of times now. I, I know. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I get it. I, I just, I don't know. I mean, we're not, we don't have large scale competitive events with the exception of what the, the different series are running, like, like well, NRG. You, you say we NRG don't have and, large ones. And, and, uh, and uh, Star City Games. But I mean, there's they're, a they're, lot. They're pretty big. They're, they're, there's a lot going on. There is. I mean, not not a lot compared to what there used to be, but there are so many RCQs going on that people are getting burnt out. So it's like, yeah, we don't have like big GP level events every weekend, but we've still got a ton of comparel events going on. They're just not super visible. Um, can I pedestal for a second? Just a moment. Uh, sh- it's, sure. It's worthwhile. It's, it's worthwhile. Um, okay. If you're a store owner and you listen to this, or if you're a judge that doesn't ju- regularly judge RCQs, the next wave of RCQs are going to be one of two formats. They're either going to be Pioneer or they're going to be Limited. Um, if you're using Event Link and Companion, um, keep an eye out for updates on that. If they do not update it and you're running in a Limited event that runs Swiss for your main rounds, uh, or sealed for your Swiss rounds, and if you switch to a draft for the top eight, you have to be careful because event link will seat players according to standings for the draft. Um, if you look at the MTR, that's not how you're supposed to do that. What? It, Wizard software disagrees with Wizards tournament rules. Imagine that. Shocker. I guess somebody didn't consult the MTR when they wrote that part of the code and they have not adjusted it. So please I... be aware if you are... If you're either attending a story event that's doing that, or if you're actually judging an event that's doing that, please make sure that what you do when you switch to draft is you take eight names and you put them in a hat or some variable or some some um, method that'll give you a, a variable response and make sure that you're seating the players randomly. And then you play out the bracket just as they're seated. So, you know, you, you, you have the person fourth fourth person yep. from the person at the table big is X, playing the X. other. That's that's big X, little X, however your table is set up. Please make sure that you're doing that if you're either attending an event, running an event, um, or whatever. Please make sure that that's happening. Um, it's, it's important to tournament integrity. Okay, and then you just have to run it manual, right? You like have to ignore. run it manual, and then you input the results manually at the end. Do you do you pair them based on big X little X or do you still use the pairings that event link generated? No, because it's 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 using pairings at that point in time by standings. Right. I, I'm just saying you you are running it on paper, diverging from what event link says, and then just what making up results to get yep. you the winner. Yep, one hundred percent. That's expletive wonderful. Like like I, that's the same conclusion that I would come to, but the fact that we are actually like with event link they didn't give us the ability to like break matches because they were like, Oh, it's because TOs are abusing. Yeah. Some were, but in reality, that tool was used by judges to fix problems. They took it away and their excuse was protect tournament integrity. And then their software creates situations where you basically have to lie to it in order to get it correct. I'm not going to go on a, 
on a deep tangent here. I I have stated in different formats and forums where uh, how I feel about Eventlink. I wish that they would listen to judges and TOs a little bit more and and give us give us uh, more transparent more transparency. I, um, and and they they haven't and they're not and I don't see that changing. Yeah, I don't care about the transparency as long as I get the fixes. And if well, I'm not well, getting tra- the f- transparent, if you're not getting fixes, then give us transparency and tell us what's going on. Well, the the answer is, we would rather funnel that money into lawyers for the D and D OGL rather than the software developer to actually fix things. Like that's basically what it boils down to is they just don't want to spend the couple thousand dollars in labor hours to actually fix and build that change. It's not a priority for them, and you can't say that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not a coder, nothing. so I don't I don't know what happens there. But I I just wish that they would at least talk to us a little bit more and and allow us to discuss with them our concerns over Event Link more. They're not because I just answer. I just feel like it's empty, and I just feel like it goes nowhere when we talk about it. It it is. I'm I'm just telling you, it's it's they're not going to talk about it because they have no good answer. They have excuses that are very tra- the excuses are transparent but the reasons they're they're not going to tell us the actual reason because the actual reason is, is they're just not prioritizing it pound sand anyway so if you're an L1 out there and if you're actually running an RCQ which you know please you know hopefully try not to do that but if you are running one um and get some feedback about how to do this so that your players have a good experience it's not like I believe that there are cheating circuits out there where people are trying to get around this because of the of the breakdown in software, um, and it's not likely. But it does lend itself to the possibility of collusion if players know where they're going to be seated prior to the ending of Swiss. Yeah. So there's that. Yep. Yeah, because yeah, you can pass. Yeah, you know who you're going to pass to, so you can make plans. So yeah. That's that's all we got though, right? That is it. Um, hopefully we will see you again in two weeks, but it might be three weeks. Um, either way, we expect to have something fun to talk about. We uh, are always interested in what you have to say. So if you want to, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com, or you can like us on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter at judgecast. And I'm Charles Feather, and I keep it fair. I'm Brian Prillman, and I keep it toxic. Hours. two people that shouldn't be that shouldn't be too bad to edit and i don't i don't have any notes for things to go out so basically i'm just going to be scrolling through looking for ums <laughs> yeah i i think i stumbled once in there but if you fix it you fix it if you don't you don't it was yeah yeah it, it's There's, not a big deal to me i've i've learned i've i know what everyone's ums look like i know what everyone's breathing looks like